0: Hello, and welcome to this episode of OPI Talk. I'm your host, Steve Hilliard. The next issue of OPI, which will be published later this month, shines a spotlight on the careers of 50 of the most influential women in the office and workplace supplies industry. To coincide with this special feature, I recently interviewed one of these leading ladies, Beth Wright from fellows who has earned a deserved reputation as one of the most dynamic leaders in our sector on both sides of the Atlantic. Here's an extract from that interview. So let's just start with a bit of a background to, to you, your family, your upbringing, your, your, um, I guess, <clears throat> schooling.
1: Probably the most you know, relevant thing is, is I grew up in this industry uh, starting at 13 years old. Uh, my parents bought an independent dealership. My dad left the corporate world uh, and bought an independent dealer, uh, that was around in, in Southern Virginia. And so as a child, uh, at the dinner table, we were talking revenue and gross profit and a business product and furniture dealer where most families were talking about what was the weather and what were we playing today? So.
0: Which which city was that? Uh,
1: South Boston, Virginia, not the end of the earth, but you can see it from South Boston, uh, (laughs) right on the North Carolina line. And, uh, Um, My my parents built that business with an amazing uh, community and and a lot of hard work Um, and serving a small town, you know, was was uh, with great service and and a good portfolio of products and support by an amazing community around them. Just was able to watch that happen. And so I've been in that and continue to kind of support the IDC through my team today. So it's kind of an interesting um, way to start.
0: What's your earliest memory then of of the of your parents' business?
1: Uh, my earliest memory is probably in the back of a printing department, uh, where my brother and I over the summer were having to manually staple a fair catalog that my parents were trying to deliver in the thousands uh, before an event, and us yelling at each other that the staples weren't lined up. So that was uh, probably first. And second was um in one of those old wrapped vans with the carpet all over it, um, schlepping a task, a Han task chair uh to a school district with my dad.
0: So how did you then make that leap from, you know, working in a uh, or working in the summer for your family business to developing a career in this industry?
1: Yeah, I I never thought I would probably stay in this industry after college and um during a uh nob show uh i met jim powell from daisy tech uh and i was a junior in college and i was graduating early um as you do and i met him and he was talking to me and we chatted and he said we have this awesome college recruit program at daisy tech in dallas would you maybe be interested in that we're looking for strong sales marketers to put through um, our college recruit program, and that's where it started. Within two weeks, I had an offer letter from Daisy Tech to move to Dallas, uh, from North Carolina to Dallas, and start there, which is where I uh, started my career, where their college recruit program um, was really known for attracting kind of strong talent out of the university system, mostly in the Texas uh, schools. So it was, it was cool that um, he was talking to somebody from North Carolina. And uh, they threw us into a fast-growing business after going through all the different cross-functional areas at Daisy Tech, which at the time was doubling every few months. It was a, um, as many know, it was a, it was a very fast-moving uh, tech kind of oriented company at that time, back in the mid uh, to late 90s. Um, when you came out of that program, they gave you a lot of responsibility very, very early and said, "Run." And so, if you were successful and you could uh, you know, handle the work, and you you did well. They would continue to promote you. So I was actually the first outside salesperson, strategic account manager that Daisy Tech ever had that would physically go call on Boise and BT Office Products and Office Depot and Staples and at that time the buying groups and the independent dealer uh, channel.
0: Uh, t- tell us how that will play out, of course, because the company itself, you know, uh, met with a sorry ending some years later.
1: Yeah. Um, luckily, I left uh, before the collapse. I left in 2000, uh, realized at the time that my now husband and I were commuting uh, from the East Coast to Dallas and, and we decided we wanted to uh, build a family together. So we picked South Florida um, and and moved there. And I tried to get out of this industry, uh, left it for about four years um, and was a director of sales for an a ERP um, consulting company down in Miami. Um, owned by Semex Corporation, large Latin uh, Latam company, and um, hated the long sales cycle, the two years to, to revenue type of cycle, but it taught me a lot about the tech world and how to operate in that space. Um, and then shortly after that, uh, was lured back into the industry uh, by Cardinal Brands, who was uh, building out a new team after being bought by private equity at the time, and uh, ran their national accounts team for four and a half years, Um, had the first baby uh, during that process and uh, after uh, our son was born, um, decided that uh, needed something more to do and wanted to kind of be a little bit more aggressive in my career. And our CEO at Cardinal and uh, I went over to Portugal to try to expand our business um, in visual communication products, knowing that paper-based products were going to continue to continue to decline. We were looking for, um Other products and partnerships with other companies and acquisitions. So we went to Portugal to talk to the Vasconcelos family. And so um, the numbers and the MA uh, part didn't work out with Cardinal, but the relationship with that family started then. And they uh, quickly contacted me and wanted me to talk to them about building out North America.
0: And that would have been what year?
1: Oof. Um, that was 20, 2007. Wow. Seems like yesterday. That was a long time ago.
0: <laughs> so I seem to recall uh, whenever we chatted in that period, you you, you grew that North American business fairly uh, fairly aggressively.
1: Yeah, well, um, I started it because we didn't have anything. So from uh, building a supply chain, a brand that was not the same brand as the European side, we built the brand Master Vision at the time. Um, so from a supply chain, an EIN number, all the way through uh, setup of every customer. Uh, customer service assortment, um, marketing from the ground up in North America. And we built that business to a little over 30 million in less than five years, and um, was very, very healthy. So uh, I think it was it was a healthy business by the time. And then I took over um, in 2012 or 2013. Um, I, uh, our head of Europe uh, left our BuySelf business and um, I said, "Why not me?" When we came to filling that role, I w- was uh, open for the challenge and really wanted to um, expand my career into Europe. So I took on the chief commercial officer role at Bysilk um, then, which was uh, responsible for sales, customer service, marketing, as well as our German and UK subsidiaries. Um,
0: well, I guess and- the answer to answer to why not me could have been, uh, "Well, you're you're you live in South Florida." Um, you've got customers in Europe. You've got family and children. Um, that was quite a, a big leap for both parties, I would guess.
1: Yeah, it certainly it, it certainly was. Um, and I was appreciative of the opportunity. Um, I think I knew what was out in front of us and the growth path that the company uh, could achieve. And I thought I was the best person to lead that. I'd seen, been back and forth uh, to Europe many, many times uh, for the first few years I was with. Um, the company and and felt like I was the right person uh, to lead that initiative and um, was really adopted by the Europeans in a a really special way. Um, I'm still, you know, somewhat surprised that an American Southern loud female uh, could come into the European market. And really I, I I adopted my style. Um, I, I changed I was flexible in, in, in changing what I needed to change to really fit in and try to understand um, how the European market, as fragmented as it can be, um, did business and how we could add value to our customers in Europe um, as a Portuguese uh, manufacturers, which many people saw as very, very small. We kind of at that point were on the rise and, and, and somewhat um, definitely were hitting above our weight, I would say. In the marketplace.
0: So then you uh, made another change.
1: Yeah. So 2018 uh, made a decision, was commuting to Europe uh, back and forth really every two weeks and and lived there for nine months with my kids over in Portugal and um, really just decided it was the right time for me to take on a, a new challenge. And um, the phone call I made was to Jamie and John Fellows. Um, I had watched um, uh, the Fellows company, the Fellows Brands organization over the years um continue to evolve the business here at Fellows and saw the changes and the evolution of the business that that John is, was taking the business through and thought hmm the right it's a family business it's a large family business that could um really move the needle in our business and change the way some things are done and I thought I could be um, valuable to to John as he was um as he is and continues we continue to um, evolved the fellow's company as a whole, so made a call to him, and there wasn't a role here uh, at the time. And uh, he and Jamie and the board were kind enough to find a role for me as the vice president of strategic growth, working on um, new categories, uh, expansion, and M and A. And then soon after that, uh, the the head of sales for the business um, parted ways with fellows. And so um, John was able to kind of slide me into that role. It was right in the middle of my comfort zone. Um, we were going through some challenges as a business at that time. And uh, 2018, 2019 was, was an interesting couple of years and um, was able to really bring some stability uh, into that business and was fortunate to have an executive team that came alongside me and helped me be successful very quickly here at Fellows. And currently um, uh, in March of this past year, uh, John came to me and asked me to take over as chief commercial officer, uh, responsible for growth in the business, top line and um, strategic channel development, which is a lot of where I'm spending my time today across our business. So I have responsibility for uh, retail, retail mass, uh, our uh, business product uh, sector, as well as our contract interior business, which, We've acquired our
0: way into. Um, now, as you know, this feature is appearing in our inaugural um, Influential Women um, article, and we've put together a list of, of, of 50. Um, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be, but it was certainly a lot more difficult than trying to find 50, um, you know, uh, men. Um, wh- why do you think, you know, you are one of, you know, relatively few number of sea level female leaders in this sector, um, you know, and what does uh, this industry need to do to sort of improve that particular metric? Yeah, I thought
1: a lot about this one. Um, it's a good question. We could take up an entire two, three hours on, on this one, but I'll try to keep it uh, brief. I, I think I'd start, Steve, And um, the center of this is example and representation. We hear a lot about what representation means um, these days and the media and lots of different kind of uh, political talk tracks, but representation really does matter. So when you come in as a young salesperson, a marketing associate, uh, you know, junior engineer, an accountant, what do you see? What do you see in front of you from a mid-level manager perspective and what do you see at the top? And it matters. And there's just, there's not enough women at the top. So there's nothing that they see that makes them believe that I can get there. So, um, you know, it's a simplified view, but those organizations that have really learned to value diversity in all its forms um, and senior leadership, you know, I think retain more diverse talent. um, And we really see it impacting the business, uh, you know, with strong performance. I think the more diverse the view, I think, you know, the, the better we all are. Um, I don't think diversity for just diversity's sake. I just think that having example of strong female leaders in the business that can continue to grow is 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 critical to having more of
0: them. Let's, let's talk about your leadership style then. So how have you brought, you know, your own sort of style and vision to the various organizations where you've worked? You know, what, what is that? How is that, you know?
1: Yeah, well. I mean, people who know me know that I'm the same um, every day. You know, I, you're not going to get anything different. You kind of know what you get. Not always everybody's cup of tea, which is okay. Um, so I think my leadership style, Steve, is just driving with an authentic, you know, voice. I, I, am, I am who I am, and what you see is what you get. Um, and, and I don't try to change who I am. Um, I try to adapt to make sh- adapt my style to fit a customer, a team, a market, and the situation that I'm in. But in ge- in general, you can see me um, every day just being authentic. Um, the other thing I would say, you know, for me is is not being afraid to get in the dirt. Um, often at this role, I have to I need to operate in the clouds. As far as I need to be strategic, I need to be working on long term planning with our team. But I'm not scared to get in the dirt. And my team knows it. I have their back and I'm willing to get in there and push down boundaries for them to make them successful. And and that's really my style. So when I need to get in the dirt, I do.
0: But what are the barriers that are, that are in front of most, um, you know, most females that maybe don't have quite the energy and dynamism that you have? Yeah, you know, What are those barriers to their leadership aspirations?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I've done some leadership speaking to, to, to female leaders um, in, in different capacities, Steve, um, one of the things that always comes up is you know, they tell you, you know, you, you know here you can have it all. Well, you can't have it all. You can't have it all at the same time. Um, so you can have it all, just not at the same time. It, it's just not possible. So um, I think working, especially for working mothers, it's a constant balance and trade off. Um, It's constant. And so, you know, with work and family priorities, I am so fortunate to have a husband of 21 years now who is a true partner. He allows me to do what I do, to be Hurricane Beth, Um, while he takes a very active role in our family and still runs his own IT consulting business. But we flex and we build our, our, our family and our life as true partners. And I think, His flexibility and our families, the way we go to, you know, not go to market, but go to life is about that balance. And so I think the barrier here is the, the, you know, as you look at old, you know, stereotypes of male and female relationships and how they they've evolved, but not fast enough for women. And so you have to have that partnership. And whether it's the support of a partner, it's your support of your family, your immediate family, um, the community. You know, we have to have that as leaders to be able to have a strong family life and be able to progress in our career. And not everybody has had that opportunity. I'm so fortunate that I've had that.
0: What would be your sort of final words of advice or encouragement to anyone that's maybe fairly early on in their career?
1: Yeah. um, Say yes. Say yes to opportunities that 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 come to you, Um, even if you're not ready. Um, Even if you have self-doubt in a particular area, say yes, get the experience. Um, And number two, really find an advocate. Um, Doesn't have to be female, but find an advocate who is going to help bring you along. So, you know, people say mentors or so forth, but you got to find that advocate in your business to start to help um, help you come along and and really progress in your capability set in your career. Those are kind of the two big ones for me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of OPI Talk. For more of the interview with Beth Wright, make sure you check out the March issue of OPI Magazine. This content is only available to OPI subscribers. If you're not already a member of OPI, please go to our website, opi.net forward slash memberships. I hope you'll join us soon for another episode of OPI Talk.